All right, good morning. Let's go to Mark chapter 14. As you, as you turn there, um, it's our first, first Sunday of Lent. We got off to a great start Wednesday night, uh, or all day Wednesday. Wednesday night was kind of the, the capstone on it for uh, Ash Wednesday that has begun our Lent season. If you, um, if you are journeying with us, uh, and just to kind of summarize what Lent is about, um, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He, was, he recognized that it was time for him to die, and he went in an intentional way in that direction. And so Lent is a time where churches and Christians all around the world intentionally set their faces toward uh, Holy Week and uh, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Like we, we journey toward that. We don't just let it stumble upon us. And Jesus fasted and prayed in the desert for 40 days. And so we, uh, as Christians, as a part of Lent, we fast and we pray and we confess and we repent and we, we like spend time in our own like deserts of self-denial and uh, like asking God to purify us and grow us uh, in that same amount of time that Jesus spent. And so uh, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a dark season in the sense that we are asking ourselves hard questions and we are um, opening our lives up for God to sanctify us and purify us. And we're intentionally fasting, like we're intentionally practicing self-denial, intentionally uh, like placing ourselves in that situation and um, fasting all kinds of things. Uh, that's really between you and the Lord. But one thing that we are doing is we're asking the churchwide to fast uh, a meal on Wednesday. Ideally, it would be lunch, uh, that you would spend your lunch break. Um, instead of eating, you would spend it praying. And you find somewhere alone to be. And if you work nearby here or live, you just want to come here, uh, from 11 to 1, this building will be open and quiet. And so if you just need a peaceful place to come and do that, um, we uh, are providing a little devotional for each of the Wednesdays for you to read while you're, while you're sitting there hungry to read this. And uh, we're going to email it out, but if you would rather a printed copy, we have them sitting on the subs down here, uh, the devotional for Wednesday that you could pick up today to kind of get prepared for that. Um, also, while, you're, uh, while I'm in the, this mode, we have these uh, Connect cards that are available in the foyer and in the lobby back behind me. Uh, if you want to fill it out, just to leave information or check any boxes, let us know, hey, I'm curious about this, uh, that kind of stuff. We would love to be able to follow up with you. So you'd fill it out and just leave it right there on the stack where you found it, and we'll make sure um, to get connected to you. Um, so going through Lent uh, is, is a church-wide journey. We've also been going through the book of Mark, uh, together for a couple of years, and so we're going to pick that back up today. So Mark 14, we are in a, in a point in the story where uh, it's the last few days before the, the crucifixion. They have, they have just celebrated the Passover meal, uh, Jesus and his disciples. They, uh, Jesus has redefined the Passover meal. He's, he's given them a new meal because they are the new people of a new exodus, and he is the new Moses, and uh, this pathway forward is through his body and his blood. And so that's this new meal that he has given them. And uh, from there, they sang, a, they sang a hymn or a group of hymns, uh, which was tradition. And then they have, are on their way to the Mount of Olives. Uh, there's a garden there called Gethsemane where Jesus is going to pray. And uh, as they're traveling there, uh, somewhere between them singing the hymn 
And then the, arriving at the Mount of Olives, we have this story, starting in verse 27. Jesus said to them, them being his disciples, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I, raise, after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they will all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Okay, so they're on their way. Jesus brings up this prophecy from Zechariah that he, the shepherd, will be struck down. They, the sheep, will scatter. Peter's like, not going to happen. The rest of them are like, yeah, that'll never happen. Um, and we're going to skip down to verse 66, where, spoiler alert, it happens, um, just like Jesus said it would. But let, let me tell you what, what happens between the prediction of that denial, and, and Peter's like, absolutely not, not on my watch. Between that and it actually going down, here's what happens. Um, if you were to keep reading those verses, between 31 and 66, they go to Gethsemane. Jesus is there to pray. And Peter, who is like bold and brash, uh, just keeps falling asleep. He can't even stay awake with Jesus. And Jesus like gets onto him for that. Um, then Peter watches Jesus be betrayed by one of the other disciples. <clears throat> he gets aggressive, takes a knife, cuts off the ear of a soldier, um, like trying to provoke a fight. Jesus shuts that down and like picks up the ear and puts it back on and heals him. Pretty awesome. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 that's not how we're doing this. Um, then uh, he, they take Jesus away. So Peter splits off from the group, sneaks into the courtyard where all the high priests are, are there, and they're having this impromptu trial. Um, and he's like listening and eavesdropping and, and watching what happens, and he watches his rabbi get convicted and sentenced to death, and they start to beat him. And so things escalated. like Things got crazy really quickly. And then verse 66 As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. He went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down. So, uh, typically, this story uh, and preaching on this story, teaching on this story, would be like, man, that's tough. Let's jump later in the, like after Jesus is raised from the dead and he restores Peter and all that kind of stuff. But we're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to talk about this, this part. Um, or I'm, I'm going to talk about it. You're going to listen. Uh, this part of the story... Um, all we really know is what happened. You know, there's there's no debriefing yet. There's no like Jesus like, hey, let me explain this here. 
here's a parable to help you understand something. Like that, Jesus is is off, like, and he's like getting the daylights beaten out of him at the moment. So he can't come over and like explain this and like help us know what to do. We just know this is what happened. This is a narrative that we just have to look at, and we have to ask ourselves, what? Why is this here? Like, why? What are we supposed to know about this? Um, it can't just be about the restoration of, of Peter after the resurrection. There, there's a reason why this part's here too. Um, and I think it's appropriate. Like God has timed this up with with Lent going through Mark in so in so many ways. Um, just that, that could not have been manufactured. It's just perfect. And this is a great first Sunday of Lent text because we're essentially talking about sin. We're talking about the the, the sin of of Peter in this moment that is recorded for us. And when, uh, you know, sin is something that uh, theologians and preachers and priests and whoever have talked about for a long time and uh, explained it and over-explained it and under-explained it and done all, all that stuff. And I, I really struggle with, like, how, how deep into that well do we need to go today? Let's just let me just borrow from Isaiah fifty three and from Romans three and just sort of let's say it this way that sin sin is when I choose I choose my own way. When I look at God and I say, I I, I know what your glory looks like in this situation, and I'm choosing to fall short of that. The even the term sin, you probably heard this before, was comes from, from archery when they would uh, they would measure how far off the bullseye you hit, like your arrow was. They measured your sin by how far off the target you were. Um, and when when we think about it in those terms, when it's simply, I look at God and say, I think I know better than you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna act on that, and you'll just have to deal with it. Um, it, I feel like whenever it, I, I start to talk about those things, it's very easy for a lot of us to kind of go go into one kind of mode with like what I'm referring to. That that uh that like rebellious, intentional, like I don't I don't really care what you have to say, God. I'm gonna do my own thing. When you you set out to intentionally sin. But Peter, if you look at the at both of the passages that we read, uh he didn't set out that night to deny Jesus. In fact, he was digging his heels in, positioning himself on the opposite. You know, like that was not his intention. And I feel like, like, when, like, there's a. I hate to use the word spectrum because I don't want to say like some sins are worse than other sins, but but in terms of like awareness and intentionality, there's like kind of an extreme where we're it is that rebellious, like I don't care, I'm going to do what I want to do. I feel like when you go to the other end of the spectrum, there's a whole other experience of choosing our own way that's like um, like what we see here with Peter. It's almost like it just got away from him. You know? like, like the pressures of the situation and uh, like the wheels were coming off, you know, and, and like everything was just happening really, really fast. And like he just like defaulted to something, you know, like he just blurted something out or or he was just full of fear or full of, you know, it's, it's hard to speculate without him being here to answer our questions. But, but you, know, you know what I mean? Like there's, there is the rebellious part of us, but then there's times when you're like, man, what just happened to me? You know, 
Like, who did I just become in that in that moment? When when you don't you don't leave the house that day of like I'm gonna I'm gonna yell at someone today, you know? Like I I'm going to I'm gonna pass on gossip today and slander someone. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a really bad financial decision. I'm gonna deceive my spouse today. I'm going to lie to my boss today. I'm gonna cheat on this test today. Uh, you know, wh- wh- whatever it is. But then there's times when, like, it's like all of a sudden you're like, kind of like Peter. You're like, what What in the world just happened? I think we have to talk about that that stuff too. And not just assume that all sin is this, like, really cognitive, rebellious act. Sometimes uh, life just snowballs on us. But you find yourself in the same place, right? Like, and so I think it's important for us to to acknowledge, like, uh, from the really intentional stuff to the I don't know what happened stuff. It's it's all all of it. Jesus died for. Like he he came for the intentional acts of rebellion, and he came from the days when like it just things got away from you. So regardless of if Peter intentionally did this or just got away from him or however you want to think of it, um, there are some things to commend in this story about Peter. Like, there's some awesome stuff here that we need, that's worth our time and consideration and because we have to respond to our own, our own denials of Jesus, right? Because isn't that another way of talking about sin? Like, isn't sin just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna act like I don't even know him for a minute? Kind of our own way of denying Jesus in the intentional things and the unintentional things, because essentially it's just about saying no to him and yes to me. And so I want to give us three um, three commendable things that we see, and it's really just on one the last group of verses in the story. Um, and so I want to focus in on on that part. So look at verse look at seventy one and seventy two. He began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Okay, The first commendable thing is that, <clears throat> that Peter realized what he had done. And I know that sounds like an elementary point to make, but let's 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 have some real talk for for several minutes. Uh, realizing what you have done is not exactly like the sharpest tool in our toolbox, is it? We're not always super great at realizing what just happened, because um, there are times when you're like, man, what I just did. Like two seconds ago, I am instantly convicted about it. There are times when that happens. Um, it's also a very common human experience that it's not till later on when you kind of get your wits back about you and you're like, hmm, I think I really like destroyed that person today. I think I just let this, 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 this get the better of me. And you start, you realize it later on. There are also times when 
We're not really dialed in to what's happening, and it's not until someone else comes to us and is like, hey, I need to talk to you about what happened. And then they begin to point out to you your sin. You're like, man, I didn't even, I didn't even realize it. I, there's other times when you've been working really hard to make sure no one knows about it, you get busted. That's the worst. You're not even like repentant yet or anything like that. You just got caught. And you're scrambling trying to figure out what to do. So him realizing what happened is commendable here. And it's something that we that we should all really strive for and ask God to help us with. Because sin sin has a callousing effect on us. That's that's what it does. Sin it it slowly is it just kills. That's what calluses do. So um let's say that you were <clears throat> you're like, man, these guitar guys are pretty good and I think I can do what they do. Uh then you would start you'd like go buy a guitar You'd probably buy a really cheap one, um, which are ten times harder to play than a good one. Uh, you put really cheap strings on it because you're not totally sold on the investment yet. And you would start to play this guitar, and it would be terrible. Not only would you sound terrible, probably, but your the physical experience of trying to clamp down those little bitty strings on your sensitive little fingertips is miserable. So you come away and you're like, well, that sounded terrible and now my fingertips hurt terribly and I, that was awful and I hate it. And you maybe would play the next day, but probably not because it's still going to hurt really bad and so you'd probably put the guitar in the closet. And that would be the end of it. You'd, be, you'd just given up your hobby because you don't have calluses on your fingertips yet. If you start taking guitar lessons, they would probably tell you don't play every day and don't play sequential days in a row when you're first learning because... You, you have to build the calluses up, and it's just going to be too painful, and you'll quit. So play every couple of days, and then I- increase the frequency as, the, as your fingertips begin to develop calluses. In other words, as you begin to kill all the cells on your fingertips to where it just doesn't hurt anymore, and then you'll be shredding you know, no time. That's, that's what sin does to us as well. Is when you're when you're in a good place and you're sensitive to like what's going on, sin hurts, and you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. But when there's repetitive sin and you just keep killing, like bringing death into your life over and over again, it has the same callousing effect on it. To where eventually you don't really feel the pain anymore. You don't feel you really feel the conviction anymore. And if we're not careful, that begins to describe how we go through our lives. And those those like kind of sin on the end of the spectrum where it's like, man, it just got away from me. Then your your pattern, you start to move toward the other direction pretty quickly where you're like, I don't know, I just do whatever I want really. Now if you were to want to get rid of calluses, the way that you would get rid of guitar calluses is to stop playing the guitar. That easy, and then to be a, probably too graphic, the uh, fingertips, uh, all that dead skin would start to fall off, and new healed skin would emerge, and then you'd have your precious, dainty, sensitive fingertips back. 
That's how you get rid of calluses, is you quit doing whatever was callousing you. Jesus is inviting us into a life where we are, he's teaching us the, uh, the way, like, it's not choosing our own way, it's choosing his path of righteousness. It's, it's, it's the glory of God that we were created for, and um, like we don't, we don't have to settle for being short of that. Uh, he's retraining us and reteaching it, and a part of that is learning to say no to the things that he's told us are killing us and to say yes to the things that are bringing us life. And that has a way of letting the callousness like, slowly uh, like, fall off and let the sensitive like, heart uh, that God has given us begin to take over. And so if you're sitting there and you're thinking like, man, I, that totally describes me that I don't even feel conviction over things. Well, the good news is uh, God's inviting you to stop doing the things that are bringing that death. And uh, as you stop doing those things and uh, replace those practices with holy practices, you get your sensitivity back. The calluses go away. And so realizing what we have done uh, that's that's the goal. We can't realize it if we're calloused because we've been bringing death into our lives all the time. The what we what we want to do. So if you have like like a calloused heart on one on one side, what we're going for to jump analogies completely is the old sailboat thing, right? Like we want to be the sailboat on the lake with the sails up, waiting for the wind. That when when we when we sin, wherever it is on the spectrum, and the conviction of the Spirit, that wind nudges us a little bit. We're, the sails are up, and we're feeling it. We're responding to it. That we are, are quickly attuned to God's activity in regard to uh, correct, correcting our sinful patterns and our sinful behaviors. So for Peter... The fact that he realized so quickly what was happening is commendable for him. And I think, I think we have to look at that and say, I want, I want to be that same way. Like I want to, I want to have, have that wash over me in that moment of remembering what Jesus said. And so a question to ask yourself is, how quickly do I realize my sin and the conviction of the, of the Spirit? How, how quickly, when the wind of conviction begins to, to blow, how quickly do the sails pick up on what's going on? It's worth asking ourselves. So first thing, he realized what was going on. Second thing, uh, look at verse 72 again. Look at the end of 72. When he remembered what Jesus had said, he broke down and he wept. Broke down and he wept. Now, we don't all have to weep, but we all have to grieve. We don't all have to weep. You can, you can handle uh, like re- responding to that realization of your sin in different ways that fall under the category of grief, but it, we all have to grieve it. So here's Peter, big tough guy, brash, Cut off a guy's ear earlier in the night, ready to fight. He's weeping because he feels the weight of what he has done. In Isaiah 53, the first part of verse 4, 
speaking of, of, of the Messiah to come, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that is saying that the like everything terrible about our sin that Jesus has carried has carried that that has been put onto him. And so he he understands, he has felt it, um, all that. But I feel like and maybe it's maybe it's just me or maybe it's something I hear from time to time. But that doesn't mean that we don't also grieve it. It's not that, oh, he got all the bad stuff and we just get to like be forgiven and free and fun, you know. That's not consistent with what the Bible tells us. Like we we see biblical conviction over sin throughout the whole Bible. Um you see you see David, you see Ezra, you see Nehemiah, you see the whole city of Nineveh. Uh like when they realize their sin, they begin to weep. The New Testament writers, Paul Peter, John, they're, they're trying to communicate to these Christians, these young Christians and James, and, and, and all, each of them in their own way, they're trying to help them see, like, hey, um, the, the sin that you are continuing to act in uh, is still bringing death. Like, Jesus has freed you, okay? So it's not that that hasn't happened, but you're, you're, you're still wallowing in the very things that were killing you. You're still bringing grief to the Father and to the Son and to the Spirit. Um, you're, you're returning to the very things that they freed you from. And that is heartbreaking to the Father, Son, and Spirit. And, and that's, that's what the Bible is telling us. Um, in Psalm 51, David says it this way. says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So we tend to make this whole idea of like feeling the weight and the grief of our sin about us. And, and granted, um, re- like religion and uh, preachers and priests and different groups over the years have, have used sin to bring, as, a shame, as a tool of shame to try to shame you into repentance or acting right or that kind of stuff. And that uh, that's disgraceful. But what David is telling us is that, hey, your, your sin, you're not grieving, you're not grieving because of you. Like you're not grieving about you. It's not it's not about your grief, it's about the fact that you're grieving the Father. You're grieving your first love. And that should grieve you. I would hope that every married couple in the room, um, when when you realize that you have b- brought grief to your spouse, that that makes you grieve as well. I, w- I would just assuming that that's a thing. And why wouldn't on an like infinite scale, why wouldn't that also be the case for the Lord? That I'm looking at Jesus and I'm saying, I really don't care that you did that for me. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And even though I'm forgiven uh, of all of this stuff, I'm just going to do it anyway. Like, why? Why would that not bring grief to me to to realize like what I have, I have done in those moments? And so it should break our hearts that we break the heart of our first love. 
And so in this moment, we see something washing over Peter uh, that we need to also wash over us. But the, the, the beauty of it, though, is that um, God never tells us, hey, you just need to sit in the sadness and the ashes and just, you just need to feel awful. And that's it. Like it's, it's always followed, followed by something. That as we're grieving what we have done to the Father and to others, as we're feeling the weight of that and we're, and we're sitting in this thing that like Jesus died for this. This is why he came. Uh, he took this upon himself. And we're feeling all those kinds of things. You know, you know what, what the response of the Father is? Uh, it's uh, grace, forgiveness, and uh, assurance, and all these beautiful things that we know as the good news, Jesus Christ. And so the point is not to like, hey, let's just be really sad and let's really feel terrible about things. The point of it is like, okay, um, I, uh, I did this thing and I completely denied knowing God and brought grief to him to watch his, his child intentionally uh, or even unknowingly, whatever it is, fell, fall into death. I brought, I've brought grief to the Trinity today. I'm, I'm owning that. I'm confessing that. I'm, I'm showing, showing this to you. What, what do you have to say about it? And to let him speak to it. It's, it's allowing God to recommunicate the gospel to us. He's saying, yeah, that's exactly why I came and died. Because that's not what I have for you. That is not what the glory of God looks like. That is not what the kingdom of God looks like. That's not what... That's not who you really are. And so we're not only feeling the weight of our sin, but also we're feeling the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's, it's the gospel over and over and over again. We're, we're reminded and refreshed of who he is and who we are and what he has done. And the fact that even as heavy as our sin is, his joyous freedom and grace is, heavier it's always heavier here's the last point so he so he realized what he had done uh, he uh, wept over his sin those are commendable here's the third thing is that he told he told this story so I haven't talked about this I don't think maybe the whole time uh, in mark but uh, so mark was written by a guy named John Mark and he was not an eyewitness of Jesus' uh, Jesus's ministry. He came to Christ uh, during the New Testament church era at some point. Um, and he has ties to Barnabas. And like if you're familiar with the, act, with the Acts of the Apostles and all that stuff. And so, um, so John Mark is not writing firsthand stuff. He is writing um, and from someone else's eyewitness account. A guy by the name of Peter. Peter is Mark's number one primary source that's widely accepted in all New Testament scholarship. So Mark, this entire time, is just like right now what Peter is recalling to him. So Peter wanted this story put in there. I think it's awesome. And we, we know that, he, that Jesus sought him out and restored him 
later on, but those details are in Matthew and Luke. They're not in Mark. Peter doesn't even make a big deal out of that part. He makes a big deal out of this. And that's very interesting to me that that when it was time to tell the story, he wanted this example of his colossal failure to be a part of it. Because for for whatever reason, he wanted this to be known. And I got real hung up on that that idea of being known. That if we're going to talk about sin and we're going to talk about realizing what we have done and being sensitive to that and, and being and feeling the weight of all that kind of stuff, um, Peter gives us an example here by making sure this made the story. That our sin is not something that's supposed to be kept quiet and hidden. He could have left this part out or he could be like, John Mark, I got to tell you a story. But this is off the record. Don't put this in there. He's like, no, put it in there. There's something about being known in the, and being when walking in community to where like God has made this an essential part of us walking in the holiness and the freedom that we're talking about. Like the whole reason we want to realize what we've done and and confess it and work our way through it is because we want to be free. I mean, he he's freed us from it. Why do we keep returning to it? Well, we have to we have to let him break break it, retrain us. But that doesn't happen on an island. We have to be known. So are, are you known? Like, are there people asking you real questions about your real life? And are you answering those questions with truth? And flip that around. Like, are you, are you asking real questions to people? And as they're sharing, are you responding with grace and with truth? Like Jesus? Like we we have to be known. We don't have to be known by a thousand people. There got to be a couple of people who know what's really going on with you. And think about marriages and friendships. Walking in this kind of knowledge of one another. Where we're able to sit around and like, yeah, let's talk about culture stuff, and let's talk about sports, and let's talk about, you know, hobbies. Let's talk about those kind of things. But, but are we gonna we're gonna get down to the real, like the real stuff too? We're gonna ask real questions and respond with real truth and listen with with grace. Like, are we gonna are we gonna do that whole thing? Because if we're not willing to do that, then we we need to go back a few steps. That's what God has called us to do. It's what he's created us to do. The shallow relationships of our world are never going to produce the fruit of holiness that we all want. It's not. We weren't created to live that way. And I, th- I feel like, you know, this is certainly reading, like kind of bringing something extra to the text, but the fact that Peter wanted John Mark, this younger like believer, to know of this failure and to write it down, um, and that God saw it fit for us to be reading this today, and that Peter must be okay with us knowing this really dark moment for him, has to tell us something. I think, I think in a roundabout way, he's modeling something beautiful for us. Saying, let me, let me tell you about like what I was doing um, right after what Jesus did in Gethsemane. I'm saying yes to myself, Terrified of what's going on, uh, this like young girl is like accusing me of things. And I'm just lying to her face. I don't know why. Um, I did all this, and Jesus just got through 
bringing himself before the Father and saying, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Peter's like, I chose my own path, and Jesus is like, I chose God's path. He contrasts those things together, and we'll talk about Gethsemane next week, but Peter is modeling something for us. In 1 John 1, 7, it says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This book was written 25, maybe some say 35 years after, uh, after the events happened. So Peter is a little bit older. He's experienced a lot of persecution, a lot of crazy stuff. John Mark is compiling this gospel, this incredible work. And I can't help but, but feel like after all that time, I kept asking myself, why, why would Peter keep this in there? Why would he do that? Maybe after all that time, maybe he has come to realize that Jesus really has made it safe. To be honest about the things that are hard and the times that we have messed up and the struggles that we have and the callousness that's there uh, sometimes or, or whatever it was, whatever, that he's made it perfectly fine to bring into the light the rebellious stuff and the like today got away from me stuff that he's really done it. Maybe, I, I wonder if Peter in the moment would have been like, I hope this makes my memoir. <laughs> you know, Maybe it just took him like living in the grace and the forgiveness of God for a long time where he was like, this needs to make the cut. It's hard to know because he's not here with us, but I think by being known, by bringing those things to the table, by inviting others into our story, we have this incredible opportunity to just retell and, and revisit and remind each other of the gospel over and over and over and over again. And to journey together away from death toward life, from darkness to light. Like that, that's, that's, the, whole, that's the whole trajectory that we're on. And we just do that with one another. So he realized what he had done. He wept over it. And he wasn't afraid to tell that story because the story really isn't about him anyway. Jesus is still the hero of the story. That's why we can tell our own stories because we're not the hero of our own story. And as God re- rewires and reorders our, our thinking and our perspective on things, it becomes more and more just, like, yeah, let me... Let me tell you what's going on because it's not about me anyway. Isn't that what you want cultivated in you? Isn't that, isn't that the humility and the God-centeredness that you want and I want? Of course, of course it is. Sometimes it means we have to have some hard conversations. Sometimes we, we, we really have to like try to, let me try to pull the words together to, to describe what's been going on with me or where I've been or what I did or what I've been doing, you know, whatever it might be. And I hope that we'd all have the courage to do that. We see, we see the, the worst moment with Peter. We also see some pretty incredible things with him as well. And I don't know where, how that strikes you. You know, I don't know where that, where that reaches into life for you. Um, but, 
I think that he's modeling something for us that is worth us paying attention to. The greatest part of it, though, is how, how Jesus swoops in and takes care of us. You might not be, you're not, that might be like kind of a new thing for you. This might be like new information in terms of like falling short of God's glory and uh, that God has something greater for you and that sin is bringing death and Jesus is bringing life. And this, this whole entire relationship with him might be new to you. And if it is, I want to invite you to stay when we're done. Like don't, don't take off, you know, stick around. Just talk. If you came with someone, talk with them. I'll be down here. Come find me. Um, Jesus is inviting us in all into this. And so if you've never become a Christian, this is a part of what following Jesus looks like. If you are a Christian, this is something we're doing over and over and over again. We are, we're, we're dying to ourselves. We're denying ourselves. We're taking up our crosses every day, which is just obedience no matter what it costs me. And we're just following him forward. I love the fact that Peter gave us this little backstage pass because you know he's by himself here. No other disciples know this. He's like, hey, let me, let me, let me tell you guys a story that um, is about my failure and about Jesus' victory. And that's what we do for one another. Let me, let me pray for us and we'll pray uh, together a little bit and sing some more. Um, Lord, I am uh, very thankful very thankful for people in this room, people who are here at 8.30, the folks watching on the live stream. I know there's a lot of your sons and daughters all around the world, but um, you've gathered us together to do life side by side with one another, and it's um, very thankful to not be alone in it. And certainly none of these things are, uh, you know, anytime we talk about sin, it's never, uh, it's never the like, feel-good sermon that you're hoping to hear. Uh, but it really is the feel-good sermon you're hoping to hear. If, you, if we're listening closely to your voice, whispering of salvation and redemption and forgiveness and most of all, love through it, that you love us enough to say, hey, quit doing that, it's killing you. And invite us into the way of a life. And so, as we are all processing and thinking about these things and the songs that we've sung and um, all that together, just ask that you help us this morning. So I want to take us just for just for a few minutes through uh, just to pray through those kind of those three points, those three questions. For you just to ask yourself. The first is to just have an honest, honest asking of this question. Um, how quickly do I realize my sin and, and the conviction of the spirit? Ask yourself, are you the sailboat? Are you calloused where you don't even feel it or realize it? Spend a minute thinking about that for your own own life.
Think about this second one. And when you do realize, you feel that conviction, what's, what's your response? Are you, are you grieving it or are you dismissing of it? Are you, do you explain it away? Do you shrug it off? How do you respond? Lastly, are you known? Like, are there are there people who know what's really going on with you, or are you? Do you have some secrets? Do you have there some things that are happening on an island that you're keeping from others? a minute or two just praying through those things and conversing with the Lord sing together in just a minute